Welcome to the Light Post Podcast, where we endeavor to cast light from God's Word on the issues that impact our lives. I'm Pastor Jim Well. Thankful that you all are able to take a listen today, and we pray that today's episode will be a blessing for you. I would like to call this one the bystander effect. Now, you may have heard of it or you may not have, but the bystander effect is a real thing. And I have a definition here I'll read to you, and then I'll try to explain what it means and what it's all about. So the bystander effect, it's a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases in which individuals do not offer any means of help to a victim when other people are present. Now, what this may mean is, is that, for example, say you're in a grocery store and uh, you're you're in the front of a checkout line. If somebody begins to have a seizure or passes out or something like that, the number of people who are there watching can kind of cause the likelihood of somebody to help to go down. More people want to stand there and watch as opposed to somebody getting out to do something. And we'll talk about why in a minute. But again, it says a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases in which individuals do not offer help or any means of help to a victim when other people are present. Now, what it also says, the probability of help is inversely related to the number of bystanders again. So the more people who are there, the less likely it is that somebody's going to do something about it. And this is a real thing. I was in a psychology class at one time and I was I was listening to the professor talk about it. And right before he got into the actual definition of what this was, he faked blacking out in front of the the, the class. Now, it may have been one hundred and fifty, you know, maybe two hundred people in there. But he started gasping for air and, and um, kind of just acting really, really strange in the middle of the lecture. I kid you not. Yes, the professor in the middle of the lecture began to do all of this. All eyes were on him and he passed out. He fainted right then and there. And nobody moved. We sat there and we just looked almost kind of like, is he serious? Like, what's going on? You know, you might hear the nervous laughter or something like that in, in the class in a couple of different places. Like, oh, this guy's a jokester. Our, our professor, now he was somebody who loved to tell jokes all the time. So we thought this was just another one. Oh, he's not serious. Laying out in the middle of a floor. He's laying there, not saying a word, not moving. We don't know if he's breathing or not, but we just sat there. And maybe for three to four minutes, nobody did anything. Maybe even five minutes. It's kind of hard for me to remember right now. But eventually somebody goes over to check on him. And then when they touch him, he pops up. He said, it took y'all this long to come check on me. He gets right back up and continues teaching. He said, that is the bystander effect. He showed it to us right there in front. He did all of this right in front of us. He made an example out of all of us right then and there. It wasn't necessarily a joke, but he was showing us the best way to tell us and explain to us what the bystander effect was, was to be in the middle of teaching like you're about to do something and just faint and see what somebody else does. And just like the bystander effect said, nobody did anything for at least the first few minutes. Long enough to where if it were a real emergency, that would have been a problem. But that's what he showed us. And that's what it is. Now, what we continue to talk about, and it's also what you can find out about the bystander effect is, is that there are certain reasons, perhaps, that people don't respond. And and one of them is 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 making an assumption about how serious this is. This situation isn't serious. Like, for example, with the professor I told you about, oh, he's just joking. 
you know, he's a funny guy. So this is just another joke. Yeah, he's laying out there on the floor. And yes, he did this elaborate thing of passing out and kind of falling into the into the board before he hit the ground. But he's laying there. When we all start getting up and trying to leave class for the day, he'll get up and stop us. There's nothing wrong with him. But he didn't move. He didn't say anything. Nobody did anything. But we want to say and make light of the situation to say it's a joke. Somebody go over there and check, see how much money he has. Put your hand on his wallet. He'll get up. So assumption of the severity of the situation. And the second one is, is responsibility shift. Well, I don't want to get up and do something. Somebody else go check on him. Somebody go help that person. Not me, you or you or you. It's a responsibility shift. Instead of taking it on me to say, okay, look, let me go and check on this person. Somebody else can do that. I remember that day I was probably in the middle of the class. I wasn't in the very back, but I definitely wasn't in the very front. So for me to get up and go check all these people on the front row, that was responsibility shift. And then the third one is fear. Fear of being the leader. Stepping out from the group to go and do something that you know needs to be done. Somebody needs to check on him. But all the people on the front row, they may have been going through fear. Well, I don't want to get up and check him. I don't I don't I don't know enough about health to be able to go over there and see if he's breathing or anything else like that. It's silly when you think about it. And of course, this was a joke. The professor was playing, but he was showing us that these three things right here can cause a person to suffer from the bystander effect. And then also the fear of finding out that something dangerous really is going on. Well, what if he was having a seizure? Well, who a seizure? Well, who is going to take control in that situation? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? If he's not breathing, do we trust our CPR skills enough to be able to bring him back? All of these things go through our minds and it causes us to become paralyzed while something needs to be done. And the other part that it mentioned is, is that the more people who are around, the less likely it is that somebody will do something. So it's almost kind of like fear of the crowd, you know, almost like fear of public speaking to a degree. You know, if the more people who are in, if you're if you're in a small room of people and somebody passes out, you are much more likely to help than if you were in an auditorium or a classroom, college classroom with, you know, hundreds of seats and hundreds of people in there. You are much more likely to help somebody in a small group than in a big group. So, again, what's the difference? Like I said, the, the assumption of the severity of the situation the responsibility shift or the fear of getting up in front of somebody else because you're worried about somebody else and what they may have to say, what they may say about you, what you may or may not do right. It could be a whole bunch of different things that are the problem. But the bystander effect says that the more people who are around, the less we want to stand out. That's what it's about. The less we want to be different, the less we want to uh, stand out from anybody else. Yes, there are people who will do something, but the likelihood of them doing that drops significantly the more people are around. Why? Because we want to be like everybody else. Something innately, you know, does not want us to go against the grain. We want to be just like everybody. So if nobody moves, then nobody moves. If everybody moves, then everybody moves. It's always hard kind of being the one to stand out. But, you know, when it comes to the word of God, you know, God called us to be unique. In first Peter, chapter two, verse nine, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, a chosen people. Chosen. 
a royal priesthood. You are royalty, a holy nation, meaning you are different. God's special possession, which means that you're not just God's possession, something that God calls his own. But no, you're special. You're different that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're not supposed to be bystanders. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. Why? Because we are different. We are unique. We are chosen. We are holy. We, we, we are a royal priesthood. But this is who God says that we are. This is God's will for us to be those things. This is what he called us. Now, if we walk in it or not, that's up to us. But God said that we were those things. So knowing that that's the will of God for us, let's talk about that just for a quick second. The will of God versus the will of uh, man which would be like us, you know, what God wants versus what we want. So when I say the will of God and the will of man, what I'm referring to is, is that what God wants for us versus what we want for ourselves. Now, the will of God is for us to serve others, to be of service to other people, to do God's will for others. It says right here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 through 12, the greatest among you will be your servant, the greatest person among you. He's talking to the disciples. The greatest one of you all is not the one who has the most servants, but the person who serves the most people. The greatest among you will be your servant for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Y'all know it takes a lot of humility to serve other people, but that's what the will of God's about. For us to humble ourselves to serve somebody else who is in need, be it an emergency or not, to go against what the bystander effect would be to where if there's somebody who is in need, it's the will of God for us to serve that person. But now contrast that with this when it comes to us, the will of man, like I said, what we want for ourselves, that is for us. We want to be served. We want it. We don't want to serve somebody else. Y'all know it takes effort for that. The easy thing is for always for somebody else to serve us. We'll take that all day, especially when it comes to us having to do something for other people. We want to be served. And, you know, when you think about it, the will of man, people, people in general, right? We as individuals are concerned with what we think is best for our lives and is best for other people at the same time as well, too. We're concerned with what we think and what's important to us, how these things affect us. We're not worried about serving somebody else. We are kind of focused more on self than anything. Genesis chapter three, verse six says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. When the woman, they're talking about Eve here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, I remember God told her, do not eat the fruit from that tree. Oh, but Eve talked to the serpent. The serpent said, John, just take a look at it. And she looked at it. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, which means that she could eat it. It was pleasing to the eye, which means that it looked good. And now also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's something that the serpent told her. She took some and she ate it. She went against what God wanted because these things right here, she thought would make her life better. Perhaps the life of Adam. She could have been looking out for both of them. But what she thought would make their lives better went against God. And even under the assumption that she thought it would make it make uh, her life and Adam's life, their family better, it went against God. But she wasn't the only person to do that. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, we, we talk about Sarai. 
But see, Sarai was the wife of Abram and both of them were promised a child. They were old and yet they were promised children. You know, Sarai looking at her life and how old she was and how old Abram was. She was like, well, wait a minute now. You know, we together are getting a little too old to have children. But perhaps I if you look at Genesis 16 and two, she says to herself, perhaps I she she didn't say we. But maybe she meant it anyway. That's fine. Either way. So she was either thinking about herself or she was thinking about her in April. But she said, perhaps I can build a family through her. Y'all remember the story, right? She had a handmaiden. She had a servant. She said, hey, Abram, hook up with her. Have a kid with her. Maybe this is what God wants. And and even if it were not, he said we were going to have kids. This is the best way to make it happen. She knew what was going to help make God's plan work. Abraham says, all right, cool. Even if the situation didn't work out exactly the way that she wanted, this was going to work. But in reality, y'all, it's God who looks out for the big picture. Not us. We might think we're looking out for the big picture, but we're really not. We're only concerned about us and, and concerned about the needs as we see fit, not necessarily the way that God sees it. Again, based on the bystander, you know, we we're looking at things based on our perspective. The person needs help, but somebody else can do it. For any of those reasons I read a little earlier, you know, the assumption of the severity of the situation. Oh, this is not serious. Well, who's supposed to decide that? Well, we are. We decide if it's if it's serious or not. It's not right, but we do. The responsibility shift. We decide is not our responsibility to, to do something for somebody who is in need of help. And we decide if we're going to be afraid to do something in front of somebody else. Those are all decisions about I, me. I decide that it's not about what God says at that point. I'm the one that decides it and I'm the one that acts accordingly. And speaking of that, it kind of it kind of speaks to society in general. The way the world seems to work. And think about it as I say this. Society seems to like. Silence and blending in. Because, again, think about it, the bystander effect, this is psychological. Silence and blending in. Something happens right there. Somebody needs to help. Most of the time, most people won't say anything. They'll stay there and they'll look. That's the silence part of it. We're quiet because we're watching. And then the blending in part. We're blending in because of the fact that if if nobody else moves, we don't move. If everybody moves, we move. We want to be in step with everybody else. And so think about going against that, right? Society likes us being with the majority. That's the way it looks. But you also know that the world or society, it accepts those who look like it. If you look like the world, the world will accept you. And when you think like the world, the world accepts you. Y'all know we're in this really big social media world now. Cancel culture, right? You know, now. What happens is, is that people will counsel you almost for anything. Sometimes it's a big deal. Sometimes it's a little deal. But usually what happens is, is that you go against what the majority of people think. And then now it's time to counsel you. You can't be different. You can't be an outlier. Sure, some things are a big deal, but a lot of things are not. If you go against the world, the world will not accept you. If you think different than the world. The world will not accept you. Y'all, there's a scripture here in John chapter 15, verse 19. It says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as his own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If you belong to it, it would love you. But you don't belong to the world because Christ has chosen us out of the world. That's why the world hates you. You have to ask yourselves in your own in, in your own lives right now, though, the standouts, the people who are doing the godly things, those who are saying the godly stuff. Does the world receive them or does the world tend to speak against them, tend to dislike them? And I'm talking about people in general, those who step outside of the box, who are proclaiming the word of God. If they say something that might be offensive to somebody else, are they received or not? Y'all do realize that the word of God is going to be offensive to a world that hates it because it speaks against it. That's the kind of world we're living in right now. And so we see the will of God or the way that God wants things and the will of man, which is the way that man wants things. They will never align because man is always looking out for itself and God is looking out for others. Both of those things can't exist. So either we're doing the will of God or we're doing the will of man. We can't do both because they are not the same and they don't mix. There's a scripture in James chapter four, verse four. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Don't you know that your friendship with the world is hatred towards God? It starts out, it says you adulterous people. Adulterous? What's it mean by adulterous? Because you're supposed to be with God, but you're cheating on God with the world. Your friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, I will tell you that, again, based on this, 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 this bystander effect, there's an issue here. And the issue is, who is that we're going to serve? We're going to ask the question like this. And and apparently we're going to have to have a part two about this because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not going to finish this all today. But I want to start talking about it and then lead into it for the next the next part. But the question is, this: do we serve the will of God or do we serve the will of man? Do we do what God wants or do we do what others want? Do we do what God wants or do we do what we want? Do we go by what we think or do we go by what God says? And and let's 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 be honest here. When we operate opposite from God, we are choosing our own way over God's. This whole bystander effect, it causes us to act differently than the way that we would normally act. It may cause us not to say things or not to do certain things because of the fact we're concerned about what somebody else has got to say. We can't operate in our own will and our own thoughts, because, again, just like in the bystander effect, who is choosing those other things? Who is choosing how important this situation is, the severity of the situation? Who's choosing that? Is it God choosing that or are we choosing that? Are we deducing how important this situation is? Are we deducing whose responsibility it is when God tells us to do something? Are we deducing whose responsibility it is to do that? Oh, somebody else say that. Or are we operating in fear? When you look at it, that person who is passed out or the situation that happens. Remember in the definition that we read a little earlier, 
when, you know, individuals, the bystander effect is, is based on the fact that individuals don't offer help to somebody who needs it. Y'all, this world needs Christ. And are we not going to offer Christ to a world that needs it because the rest of the world is not doing it? That's part of the bystander effect and how it affects us as believers. Are we serving God or are we serving ourselves when we make that decision? There's a scripture in Matthew chapter six, verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Which master are you serving? Are you serving yourself? or Are you serving God? When others are there needing help. Who dictates to you what you do? If you choose to serve God, then we have to be bold. We can't allow others to dictate how we act. We can't allow others to dictate what we say, to dictate how we're supposed to think or how we're supposed to feel. We have to dare to be different. And I'm going to leave this scripture with you right here. Joshua chapter one, verse nine, it says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord. Your God will be with you wherever you go. So we're going to do another episode on this. So be on the lookout for it. But for now, I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the Light Post podcast, a ministry of the Guiding Light Church. For other messages and resources, connect with us online at guidinglight.org, Guiding Light Church on Facebook, or Guiding Light Church TV on YouTube. Thank you again for your time and be on the lookout for the Bystander Effect Part 2. Should be available actually as you're listening to this one now. But anyway, until then, take care. God bless. See you soon.